This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Strangers and Aliens, episode 153. Strangers and Aliens, summer movie series. Mad Max Fury Road. Hello and welcome to another episode of Strangers and Aliens. I'm Ben Avery and I am not here alone, but I am not here with Steve or Dr. Jace. I am actually here with someone who has seen the movie that we are talking about and that person is... Rachel Kessler from the Geekwilly Yoked podcast. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Kind of spur of the moment thing. Um, We just got done recording a Geekwilly Yoked episode for the crossover Nexus, where we're talking about movies and guest hosting on other people's podcasts. And I mentioned that I was going to be talking about Mad Max very soon, and meaning as soon as we were done with that call. And Rachel said she had things to say about that movie. And I thought, you know what? I don't have a guest. I don't have a co-host. That would work out nicely. So welcome. Thank you so much, because this is something I was perfectly willing to do it by myself. Uh, I was absolutely ready to do it by myself, but this is a movie that needs to be talked about. And it does. it's a movie that needs to spawn conversations about a plethora of things from theme to just how the movie was made to how they presented the characters to how they presented the plot. And there's just so, so much about this movie. I would actually call it one of the most spiritually profound films I've seen in a long time, but we will I, get into that. I would probably agree with you based on one simple sentence in this movie now most of the sentences are simple in this movie (laughs) it's true not a lot of dialogue you and this is something that um the director george miller he said this about his other mad max movies as well um especially the first two not maybe not the third so much but he wanted to make movies that people could just look at watch and not need a translation to understand the movie and this one is that in spades absolutely Um, now, have you seen the other three? I not at all. I know oh, okay. nothing about. I I absolutely know nothing about Mad Max. Nothing about the franchise, and very little about the making of this film. And you don't need to know anything about the franchise. Uh, no, you to understand don't. this this movie. Um, I, I will say, I, and I forgot to tell you this beforehand that I wanted to briefly touch on the other three movies because okay. I, I do like the other three movies. They all feature Max uh, Mel Gibson. In, in the role, uh, not uh, he's not in this one in, in Fury Road, but in the first one, just called Mad Max. It's it's kind of a in the vein of um, the Equalizer or, or uh, not the Equalizer, um, Clint Eastwood and mm-hmm. or, or Death Wish, where it's basically a cop in a dystopic future who his family gets killed, and so he goes after the people who killed his family, and. In between that movie and the second one, now this is my fan canon, but uh, the bombs drop. The, oh, okay. And in the second one, which is The Road Warrior or Mad Max 2, depending on what country you live in, or Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, uh, he it's basically a Western where the man with no name, although he has a name, it's, it's Max, uh, rides into town. And there's a town that's being uh, harassed by an uh, evil gang. And... He comes in and he's going to help them escape and help them uh, get away and and deal with the bad the baddies and then he's going to disappear and, and walk off into the into the sunset or drive off into the sunset as the case may be. 
And the third one is an 80s sci-fi cheese movie. Um, and it's it's one of the best. I mean, it's, Is this Thunderdome? Yes. Okay. Yes. This is the one that if you haven't seen it, you know it. You, yeah. you know it. If, especially if you're of a certain age um, where it was on, you know, Saturday afternoon TV. It was, uh, yeah, Tina Turner. And it's basically two movies in one where the first part, he's in Bartertown and goes into Thunderdome and fights the bad guy. And there's this really interesting twist about who's in, you know, under the mask. And then he gets punished and uh, exiled into the Badlands where he meets a group of children who he then helps. And each of these three movies you you it, it, it's 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 definitely in that western mold and this one fits the mold as far as what he does he's there the plot is moving around him he steps into the plot here and there and then he walks away <laughs> and, mm. uh and so they they all kind of fit into that that mold of again the western the the man with no name the you know the good the bad and the ugly or a fistful of dollars the clint eastwood kind of thing and uh, only it's in a dystopic future. And in the case of this movie, I don't know where it takes place. In the timeline, you don't need to know. All you need to know is Max is a guy who is a loner and a survivor. And he's going to be put through the ringer. Will he survive? And who whose story is his survival going to be side by side with? Right. So, and that, and that's, that brings us to Fury Road here. So we're going to talk in vague terms without spoiling it, uh, but we're going to give kind of our vague impressions and if we recommend it or not, and then we're going to give it a a grade. Then we're going to get into the deep themes and the ideas and spoil everything. Although I think you could spoil everything about this movie and still say, go see it. We cannot do it justice. I'd agree. Well, it's something to be experienced as opposed to just purely explained. And I'll say this up front. I think that this is a movie you need to experience on the big screen. I don't say that very often. And usually when I do, it's something like Avatar, which I experienced on the big screen and I loved it on the big screen. And then as I was thinking about it afterward, I just started loving it less and less and less. But as a big screen... We've all been there, Ben. (laughs) As a big screen experience in 3D, it was a sight to behold. And so is this. There was only one moment towards the very end where I felt the 3D was gimmicky, but I hadn't even noticed it until then. I thought that the 3D did allow me to feel like I was being immersed in the movie. This I is agree. This is one of those few times timing caused me to get the 3D. Mm. Um, I had to get 3D if I wanted to see it in time. I was at a convention. Uh, it was a two-day convention. I was selling my comics, and then I went and saw this movie, and then I went and stayed uh overnight at my friend's house who's an artist that i work with and then we went to the convention together in the morning again uh and so this was when i went to by myself i didn't want to be out too late and i had to see it in 3d and i'm so glad i did i i rarely say see it in 3d um i recommend seeing it in 3d though it was amazing i absolutely agree my friend and i the same thing it was just the timing that worked out for us and it was fantastic. And I, I, I was not conscious that I was in a 3D movie until, like I said, there was one moment that took me out of it. But for the most part, it was, it was pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Well, there weren't any of those moments. I remember watching late night TV with my parents one night and they did the gimmick where 
you can get the 3D glasses and like TV guide or something. And they're going to oh, show right. this, this gorilla movie or something. And I just remember sitting there. We didn't have the 3D glasses, but we were watching it anyway. And this gorilla is like swinging toward the screen and swinging back and swinging toward, you know, and it's it's the gimmick, right? Well, and this is what there was one. I mean, this isn't a spoiler to say that a, a, a tire flies off a car in <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road. And it just, I, it like just, just shot out. I felt just straight out of the screen in that, oh no, it's flying at you. Is it going to hit you in the face? I, I got that feeling off of it, but that was the only time that I felt the 3D took me out. There was one for me that was later on in the movie with a character. And I, I won't go any oh, further okay. than that, but where I was just like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> this is, and it's a good moment though. I mean, it's a stylistic thing. And yeah, um, but that's the thing about this movie. It feels like it's all style, but it's yeah. not. You know, and, and I'm not. I'm not sure if you're familiar with my quad that I do when I talk about mm. movies. Um, there's a there's kind of when I'm when I'm analyzing a movie, I, I look at four different areas. There's style, there's character, there's plot, and there's theme. And this is a movie that does all of them fairly well, and and gets into yeah. it, it. It it's all style, you know. But at the same time. It uses that style to give us uh, it, the weakest part. Probably is the plot. Uh, there's not a lot of plot to it. Basically, no. Mad Max gets kidnapped, and in, in this dystopic world, and they're going to harvest him. Um, how they harvest him is interesting, and how you know he is able to stay with the plot, <laughs> so they take him with them yes. is, is interesting as well because they're chasing down a truck that has something very valuable to their leader, and their leader is someone who rules with an iron fist over. The masses. He is up high in a mountain. Down below, you have uh, these people who have been affected by radiation. They're wearing rags. They, you know, he's he is giving them little water and telling them not to get addicted to it. Yeah. Uh, which I don't know what that means. You can't live without water. I don't think you can become addicted to it. But he's telling them don't become addicted. And now something that he finds valuable has been taken from him, and so he is going to go after it and get it at any. Uh, by any means necessary and so the question is what is it what's going on how is mad max involved um and we we go from there so it's and there's lots of car chases and explosions across deserts and it's all stunts or almost all stunts as impractical effects yes yeah what's cool about it is most of the cgi work that they did was actually to remove harnesses (laughs) <laughs> the, on, from the stuntmen i mean they're using i, I was not aware of that but yeah, that's amazing they're using real cars they're using people with makeup yeah they are using you know because they've been ravaged by radiation and yeah and well and that was it just in terms of plot or storytelling or world building or however you want to describe it i thought that was nicely well done to have that you felt this world mm-hmm of these people who were affected by whatever mutagenic disease this yeah. is they have, or just cancer, um, was was nicely woven in. Yeah, well, you bring that up. I mean, you're thrown into the world. Yeah. You're, there's not a lot of explanation. No. In fact, considering our last conversation about the movie Spirited Away, we were saying the, the exact same thing. You're exactly. just thrown into the world, and they film it. It's almost like you're watching a documentary. They're not explaining everything to you. They're just showing you the stuff. There's a lot of show, don't tell. Um, and that might be frustrating in, in some ways for a, a summer action movie. But 
But I would say it's one of the things that aids to the character development. I mean, it's maybe not a movie that's incredibly heavy on plot, as you point out, but I would argue that it is a film that's incredibly rich in character. Yes, I would agree. Although not Mad Max. I mean, Mad Max, No, he, like in the other Mad Max movies, basically his character arc in the first movie was, you killed my wife and child, now I'm going to destroy you. And after that, there's not really much to it other than, I'm going to survive. And... <laughs> In the in the next two movies, uh, and the same thing thing here. His character arc is survival. And I, I would argue that there's that there's a, a redemptive arc, but I guess we'll get into that in the second half of the podcast. We will. There's just not a lot to <laughs> him. I mean, he, yeah. he's he's a blank slate almost in some yeah. ways. So, well, he's a he's an audience point of view character, right? He's the one through whom we're seeing this world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he huh. spends a lot of the time with a mask over his face. Yeah. Um and we and are dragged along. Yeah. And we're dragged along with him. Yeah. Through the through the story. So um okay, so you saw it with a friend. How did the theater you were in, uh what was were they reacting well? Did you feel like they were all into the movie? Um Yeah, yeah. I mean it was it was packed because it was half price Tuesday night. Uh-huh. Um <laughs> but uh yeah, I mean it and it was um People were into it. I mean, it wasn't. Uh, it was just this past week, so it was. It'd been out for a little bit, so okay. it wasn't quite that opening week energy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a lot of, and I noticed this going in. It was full of a lot of young women. Really, which I think I. I feel like maybe mm. the buzz is getting around that there is. You know, we can talk about the the arguable feminism of the movie or what I, I just, I wonder if that buzz is getting out. Cause that was certainly the reason I was there. I wouldn't have gone to see a Mad Max movie oh, okay. necessarily, or I wouldn't have wasted one of my rare chances to get out to see a movie um, on Mad Max if I hadn't been picking up some of that press. Uh, and so I just thought that was really interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it was an interesting crowd or a different crowd than I was expecting. And my crowd reacted well. I mean, they were into the movie and it, like I said, it immerses you. I mean, you just mm-hmm. you step in and it grabs you and it keeps moving. There's not a lot happening other than, you know, car chases and, and stops along the way and then more car chases and stops along the way, but it keeps moving. So even when it stops, it doesn't stop. And it's visually just a feast, you know? So even when there's no explosions and it's just people talking, you know, you have one character who, you wonder what happened to that guy's body, you know, that, that it came out like this and it, how is he a leader, you know, and how has he kept control? Not just the leader of the, the group that that's after Max, but the, there's two other groups that join in. Yeah. Well, and you're just constantly trying to piece together exactly what's happening and what people are trying to do and what's going to, where the next car chase is going to come from, right? yeah. what's going to happen to... Um, I I was I had like a bottle of water, and I just was sitting there just squeezing it <laughs> most of the time. I don't know. Um, it, it, uh, Daniel Butcher, who hosts Welcome to Level Seven with me, um, one th- way that he gauges episodes of of Agents of Shield is how tense is he. And oh. the entire time I'm watching this movie, I'm just thinking, Daniel can't watch this. It's <laughs> tense. It's just constant, constant tension. Yeah. Pretty much. So, um, well, okay. So I think we can pr- agree that we are going to sing high praises about this movie after yeah. we 
play the Sounders. Uh, so I'm going to ask you anyway, um, but what grade would you give Mad Max Fury Road? I'm so It's so hard to give a grade to a movie that's just like this mass impression, right? But I... I'd give it an A. I think I'd have to give it an A. I, I don't I find it hard I, at all. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I can't, I don't feel like there's a weak link. I, I feel like if there is, and I can't think of one, if there is, it doesn't matter. Exactly. Well, it's just, it's such an immersive experience and it's just, it's one of, you know, I, I like having really memorable movie going experiences and this will be one of them. Yeah. I, I agree. I, and A for me too. I mean, A, yeah. A plus, you know, it's, yeah. it hits everything. It's an unusual film. It's an unusual summer blockbuster um, in that not a lot of dialogue, not a lot of exposition. Um, the stakes are very personal. Mm-hmm. The, the stakes are not, can you save the city or can you save the world? Um it's it's a it's personal stakes to the characters involved, especially the the group of characters who are our protagonists. It's very personal and very tense. You know you 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 don't get their backstory spelled out to you. Uh, in some cases, I don't want their backstory spelled out to me because it, I'm glad they didn't show it. I'm glad you know it's left to me to imagine because I didn't want to see that. Yeah. Uh, because it's horrifying enough just implying it. Um, actually, it's really horrifying just implying it. But, oh, yes. But the, the idea is you're, you're going along and, and it's, it's taking you for a ride. It really is. Um, and I, I was comparing this to someone with uh, the Fast and the Furious movies, which it's the same kind of thing. Mm. Uh, lots and lots of pretty explosions and driving and stunts and all those kind of things. And they, they do practical stunts for fast, fast and the furious. Not, not everything, but a lot of it is, is practical. Um, the difference is there's a richness to the world and a richness to the characters and a richness to the themes that it's trying to, you know, it, it's, this is a movie that's trying to say something. Yeah. And fast and the furious, you don't get that. So which one's going to make more money? Oh, fast and the furious. Cause you're not being asked to think. And yeah. you're being you're escaping into a world that it's exciting and fresh and and fairy tale fantasy, whereas this is dystopic future, and yet manages to be beautiful. Oh yes, absolutely. Time. I mean, it's it's very stunning. Y- yeah, every shot. Yeah, uh, I don't know a lot about the background of this. George Miller he he directed the other three, uh, but I do know that they started with storyboards rather mm. than starting with script. And that definitely you that can comes through. tell. They they started saying this is what it looks like. This is the visual, and okay. So highest of recommendations to almost anyone. I will say this: it is R rated for violence for sure. <laughs> if uh, if you don't like seeing people die in creative car related uh, mayhem, um, you. You should stay away. I mean, this is a a visual movie and there are visually inventive uh, ways of filming death and destruction and mayhem and uh, very tense. Um, It earns the R, but it, it, and sure, yeah, maybe it deserves the rating, but what they do with that fits the story 
and fits the theme, and it's I don't feel it's exploitive. No, and I didn't feel that it was any of the violence was gratuitous. No, not at all, not at all. Maybe, maybe once or twice. Yeah, where it's just like there was this one is the kind of movie we're making. Particular, I could not watch. Oh, really? I guess yeah, we'll get I'll, to that in the, yeah, in the spoilers. That's a definite spoiler yeah. territory. All right. All right. Well, I'm going to play the, the spoiler sounder right now. And uh, if you have not seen this movie, we're saying go see it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Because uh, you will not regret it unless that kind of violence bothers you. And then you will regret it. So don't see it. Spoilers. 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 Okay. So, Rachel. <laughs> so, Ben. There's so much to talk about. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and let you start. Where do you want to start? I know you've written a blog post about it. I specifically didn't read it. Oh, um, yes. Not knowing I was going to be talking about it with you, but just because I usually don't try and listen to or, or read things about um, movies that I haven't had my own thoughts about yet. So, I wanted to be fresh and, and clear. But since I'm talking about it with you, we can start wherever you want and... Uh, you're the, you're the guest. You go first. Oh, what do you want to talk about with with Mad Max? When I say, tell me about Mad Max, what's coming out of your your brain there? Well, I mean, I have. I mean, I have to talk about the Charlize Theron character, um, Furiosa. <laughs> you mean Sigourney Weaver? Sigourney Weaver, yes, yeah, Sigourney Weaver, oh, or Linda Hamilton, or uh, anyone else. The um, shaved head. It just. I could not yeah, stop seeing Sigourney, Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. It, it, I just couldn't. Uh, and and not just because of the attitude. I mean, it, it really was the the physicality of, of the shaved, right. the shaved head. But yeah, go go ahead. Then sorry. No, I just I think it's she's such a rare character. Um, I mean, I guess you you say there are these other. I mean, there there are clearly other strong, um, very physical women in action horror films. But there was something I found. Um, particularly fascinating about her character and the way it's really her choices initially that are driving the action of the film. And, and the fact that she is not only is she not sexualized, but she is actually mutilated. Yes. Yes. Which is itself not, um, anything that's made to define her at any point. So I just, I I think she's a, a, a really, fascinating character i don't know that I, I there's a lot more that i would want to say um from my perspective as a woman about the role of women in the film and the feminism of the film that i think feeds into the larger um spiritual redemptive arc of the movie but maybe i just start there okay with her well okay and and actually, it's kind of nice having you here since, you know, Steve and Dr. Jace yeah. don't bring that fem- female perspective to to their thoughts simply because, well, we're not females. Yeah. And um, the thing that did strike me, one of the things that struck me about her, you, you mentioned the, the, her mutilation, the, right. the arm, she's missing an arm and no story is given. No backstory is given. No. Uh, we don't know how she is the star driver for the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's implication that she, in the past, was involved in kidnapping uh, women for the bad yeah. guys, and that she herself is a kidnap victim right. of them. Uh, where along the lines 
if she was uh, always, you know, something other than than what these other, the other women are, are sexual slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't know if she was or not, or if she just showed that she had this penchant for driving and right. Uh, and, and so that that was never part of her backstory. We don't know any of that. We don't need to though. All we need to know is that she was kidnapped herself and that she is looking for redemption. Right. And she has the, a cool robot arm. Yes. I mean, that. let's be honest, that's part of the visuals here. Uh, and that's where you see, I think, a lot of other CGI was going into. Because you can see through it. It's so cool. Mm. You know, it's kind of like the, yeah. the two bones that you have in your arm there are there and they're robot or, or mechanical or whatever. Yeah. Um, but there's no muscle around it. There's no fake tissue or anything like that. Yeah. She has this, I mean, it's a cool looking arm, but it's so neat the way you can see through and, but it's also something she removes every mm-hmm. once in a while. And it's just a part of her character. There's, there's a moment of quiet where she removes it. And there's a moment of torment at the end where she yeah. is just so upset that she just sheds, you know, like, Basically, this I think thing she's, that's a weight yeah. or something. Well, yeah. I think she's shedding all of her connections to yeah. the the current civilization, and just it's just her, and and she's she does it so well, but she screams to the sky, and it's cliche. In any other movie, you'd be like, "Oh, give me a break, Arnold Schwarzenegger! Come on, man!" You know, <laughs> screaming no to the sky, but she's screaming to the sky, and it's so heartfelt that I didn't even realize. Oh that you know until oh wait she just did that thing that normally i just kind of roll my eyes at i didn't roll my eyes because i cared i mean i was with her on that emotional journey well i have to say that's what sold the action for me was that that that's what grounded the the hyper intensity of the action was that i came to care about these people intensely um and so there just there was an emotional grounding to the stakes. Yes, that that really served the film. That we're a step beyond uh, the Chitauri are going to destroy the world. You yeah. Know? So let's have big action sequence. No, this was they have to escape. They have to stay ahead because if yeah. they don't, they're going back sh- to that what, world. Yeah, they're going back to that world. What's going to happen to Furiosa? Yeah, I mean, what is going to happen to her? I can't even imagine, considering what we know about the culture of this, the war boys. I think is what they call the the yeah. white skinned cancer victims who yeah. are you know stealing people's blood. Yeah, which is a new one. Um, you had people stealing cars and gas and killing people and stealing food in the other movies, but this is really inventive. Uh, they string people up. And they do a transfusion there in, in their their war hall or whatever. I don't know. Well, I guess we should. That's one of the things you find out about Max in the first minutes of the film is that he's deemed the universal donor, right? Which makes him incredibly valuable. Very valuable. And he's hooked up to, I can't remember the actor's name. I can't remember the, the character's oh, name. Oh, um, Nooks. Yes, Nooks yes. is the character's name. Um, he's he was Beast in the uh, the last yeah, few X Men movies. Yeah. I was I the whole Noah Webster. I feel like maybe no Noah Webster made a dictionary, <laughs> <laughs> not Noah Webster. I'm just gonna backtrack that one. But he uh, he's like I have to go on this mission. This is my last mission. I'm going to die, but I'm not done with my transfusion. So we'll just strap him to the car. Yeah, and they they strap him on the front of the car, which is a Mad Max trope. You see that in almost all the movies where they'll right. 
But what, what's the is there a, is there a rationale for that in the other movies, or is that just cool? Well, and it's especially in Road Warrior. Actually, it might not be in in the first movie, but in in Road Warrior, they do it to intimidate. Uh, the bad guys capture some of the good guys who come out of their city, and okay. they just strap them to the front of their cars. You almost wonder if they could do like a a retcon, and, and mm. you know, you don't get a real good look. They could be you know, funneling their blood, um, uh-huh. but I, I there's no indication of that. It's, it's really just to intimidate to say, hey, we've got your people. They're still alive, but they won't be for long. We're driving at high speeds and right. and doing crazy stunts with them on the front of our car. Right. So, and it's happening here with him, but he's, <laughs> that's the other interesting thing. He's losing blood almost the entire first act of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking, how can he do anything after, I mean, you know, he's going to get away, but how is he going to be able to do any kind of physical movement? <laughs> I mean, that guy's got to be really tough yeah. for him to re- yeah. recover the way he did. And 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 that adds to the mystique of the character, I think. Absolutely. That he's able to, to recover like that. But again, he's the man with no name coming into town. And we're not meant to care about him, I don't think, so much no, as we're so. to care about the town. And you know, I say town in, in that general sense of like the old Western kind of thing. But yeah, so back to Charlize Theron, though, and, and Furiosa. Um, I, 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 again, we talked about this with Spirited Away, where I really related to that 10 year old girl. Um, I, I'm, I'm relating to her because, you know, there is a universal thing there beyond the, the feminism. And I, I can't really speak to that. Oh, it is. I think the feminism is very interesting to talk about, but I, I don't by any means think it's the only thing to talk about in this film. Because she's doing this for redemption. She's doing yeah. this because it has to be done. It's right. And she's taking. But, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, but, I was saying it, it, it's it's the choice, right? Yeah. She she makes a choice in the beginning of the movie to be willing to try to release these women and her or, plan, or help them escape. Right? Her plan Which started is, before the movie started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we don't she, even know how the plan got started. We just know that she agreed to it and took that risk. So she has five women who are basically a harem um, for this disgustingly awful physically disgusting man who is eaten away by radiation poisoning who knows you assume that's what it is maybe yeah Uh, uh, there's something going on there and they're 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 propping him up at first you know but they're putting on like this see-through plexi armor but it has molding to it to give him the impression so when people see him from below from far away it looks like he's strong it looks like he's healthy And he looks terrifying with this mask, this breathing mask that he's wearing. Yeah. But it's you know made to look like this terrible grin with awful teeth. You know, he's he's a fairy tale horror creature when he's wearing that. <laughs> and you're trying, you know, he's trying to act all benevolent, like I give you some water. Don't drink it too quickly. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, so they've been part of his harem, and they're intending to give him children and he has some sons one is uh horribly deformed and the other one is this kind of really strong specimen of of a physical human okay so those i I sort of missed that somewhere along the way which ones were actually his two so those were his two sons they they both were his sons because they they both call them dad or or father or something like that no one else did 
um, right. at least in my what I recognize. But um, and the one I didn't the, the strong one I wasn't quite as certain until um, there was the scene with the baby where he stands right. up and yells to everyone, "I would have had, would a, have had a perfect yeah. brother," you know. And uh, that yeah. was the scene I couldn't watch. By the way, oh, oof. with the baby, I yeah I've been through five live births. And this was, this was hard to watch. They didn't show anything. It was all off camera or mostly. Well, there were some little feet sticking up there. Yeah. Showed enough. And, and you had this moment and this is, this is an interesting moment. I, I'm not quite sure what was being said by the moment. Uh, I'm not even sure what I take away from it, but where you have the doctor who's, oh, if, you know, this would have been a human being in another month. You know, yeah. and and a perfect one at that, and you're just like, oh, interesting. You know, they put that word, you know, they put those words in the mouth of someone that you're meant to hate, though. Yeah. You know, and you know, what's being said about the the humanity of the baby? Because I think the primary theme of this movie is what happens when you strip away humanity, or can you strip away humanity, and. Yeah, I I don't know if what you because you said that you were there was one sentence. Yes. That you, you want to guess? I don't know if for you it was the "We are not things." That's the one. Yeah. That's the sentence that sums up the movie. Absolutely. And why? As soon as that woman said that, mm. I was I was on the side of this movie. I mean, I already was. Yeah. But I was, there was no going back for me. Is. We are not things. Now they're they're saying it for them, you know. And they're saying it to a woman who wants to go back, like the uh, the Israelites. You know, let's yeah. go back to Egypt. You know, it, it was, was better there. there. He treated us well, and we yeah. had food. We're out here. We're going to get killed horribly yeah. by cars. <laughs> um, but I think when you look at that world of the the beginning of the film, it is a world of death. And mm-hmm. it is a world where people are things, right? Even Max is a blood bag. He's not a person. He's exactly. just a thing. Um, and the war boys are just, they're, they, they live for death. Exactly. And they live to become, I mean, they, they worship machines, right? They worship things, quite literally. Yeah, they worship the chrome. Of, yeah, and they spray paint chrome on their mouth, and they're about yeah. to die. You know, and then they give their "We live, we die, we live again" in Valhalla or something yeah. like that. Yeah, um, they worship a stack of steering wheels, um, and it's clearly meant to be a, a religious experience when they're standing in front of the stack of steering wheels. They, as they're taking the steering wheels to go and throw oh, absolutely. them absolutely, and uh, and so you do have that element of control through religion. The, the the I can't remember the the main big bad's name. Oh, Immortan Joe. Yeah, I'll yeah. just call him Joe. Yeah. Um, clearly, he's he's meant to have set up a religion, you know, to control the the masses mm-hmm. here uh, of the war boys. Yeah. Not necessarily the people below, but uh, yeah, no, they are. It, there is these this collision of worldviews here, though, and I think that before the movie started, that's what happened with Furiosa. Mm-hmm. Is I think she realized we aren't things you know and they yeah. aren't things i have to help them because they have humanity they have the spark of humanity and that's what knox learns is that mm-hmm. he's not a thing yeah 
Um, although he does, you know, die gloriously. <laughs> he does, but but and this is one of the points I made in my blog. He dies gloriously, but he only he dies when his death can actually be a sacrifice. Yes. It can be something that he is his death is not so at the beginning he's seeking death out of despair and out of having nothing. Um well, and at the end he's he is no longer seeking death and so he is able to give it. Yeah, and and death is meant from the beginning death is meant to be that's the glorious transformation. Yeah. You know, that's where we actually get to have meaning is when we finally die, you know. Yeah. And here it's a it's a change in in maybe semantics, but here it's I finally found something to live for, right? And I can die, you know. And, yeah, but I mean, but I think it, it's 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 sacrifice, right? He is able to to he realizes that he is not a thing. He realizes that that these women he's been chasing down are not things. Yes, and it's sacrifice and it's choice. Absolutely, and that's a, again. I think another theme of this movie is. You you make your choices, you know, yeah. and and what are they going to be? Well, and for him, he finds that redemption that Furiosa was looking for too. I think mm-hmm. uh, absolutely because he had, he was supporting the machine, so to speak, literally machines, um, worshiping them. But he was supporting that, and now he's you know what I'm with you guys, but mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to die anyway. I got was Larry and Barry, yeah, the two his sisters tumors, tumors yeah. Yeah, on his shoulder that. He's named and drawn faces on sometimes, because I think the faces disappeared later on. Oh yeah. But yeah, so you have Knox, you have Furiosa, you have Max. I mean, you mm-hmm. want to talk about Max for a moment here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, he, he's the one. He's the cipher, I guess. He's the. There's not a lot going on there. Um, if if he has a character arc, it's similar to the ones in the previous movies where he reluctantly and then. You know, because it's part of his survival, he'll help because it's part of his survival. But then, no, it's not just survival anymore. Again, that choice, that turning yeah. point where, okay, it's this is the best the best thing to do, the right thing to do. Um, and it's still part of survival, though. It is, but I think there, like, there's something for me. It, it, it the moment is when Furiosa is dying and he gives her his blood. Because at the beginning, we began the beginning of the movie where his blood was being taken from him and mm-hmm. he was nothing but a blood bag. And it was his humanity being stripped away from him. And then she's dying and he realizes he still has that, he still has the like transfusion coil <laughs> yeah. around his ear. Um, yeah, you know, and, but you put that on your jacket, wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. Right. right. Why not? Um and he's able to give her his blood because we've had it established that he, he's the universal donor. And he gives her his blood. And at that moment, he also gives her his name. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Finally. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, again, very similar to what happens with Nooks where he – what was being just taken from him and making him into an object and was robbing him of his humanity becomes that moment where his humanity is restored by giving it willingly – to someone he's come to know and trust and respect. Mm-hmm. And he finds his name again and gives her his name. And I think there is a restoration of yet. Like, I, I think there is, I think Max does participate in that redemptive arc. And I think he does re- receive 
at least some semblance of his humanity back where he he now has a name again. He's not just that single impulse of survival. Yeah, I'd agree. That you're right. If if I had a turning point, I would have put it a little bit earlier, I think. Because mm. um, that's happening. But, oh, but I, think my, a, I think it's a process. Well, and my turning point is uh, sticking with the survival side, though, where yeah. he's he's left the group. Yeah. Um, but then he's like, no, that group is going to die. Uh, I'll go and, and give him a better plan. Yeah. Because um, they're going to go. There's and just drive out for 160 days and die. Yeah, to hopefully find you know the shoreline maybe because yeah. this is Australia. I think it's still meant to be Australia. Um, that makes sense. Because uh, I, I don't think I, I well I don't see them crossing oceans after the bombs have dropped. No, and that's that's the one thing that I think they probably continuity wise we're hanging on to. But um, what what uh, another cool element though is that they are trying to go back to what Furiosa remembers as. Mm a beautiful lush um garden basically yeah. the garden of eden almost and i don't think anyone in the theater was expecting them to actually find that what i didn't expect was that they had actually gone through it right <laughs> to get to where they realized oh it doesn't exist anywhere they actually we saw them go through it and it's it felt like a throwaway like it's well, just scenery as they're driving yeah. Well, that was just so powerful because you expected this green place to just be some mythic wisp in her memory. Mm -hmm. And then to have it exist and then be taken away. And like that kind of one-two punch was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And and the visual there was, it was just, it was dead. There was water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was water and there were dead trees. Uh that they drove through and passed, but nothing was living there except for birds and these people who were walking around on stilts. Oh yeah. For their legs and their arms. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which re- reminded me of, um, dark crystal. Yeah. That's exactly what it reminded me of too. Oh, because the, it's, it's the, oh, I can't remember what they call those, those creatures, but it's, it's the same style of stilt. It's just no, uh, you know, puppet, fur hung over it and just a wonderful visual but i'm thinking i'm just watching scenery go by and instead we're experiencing the the garden of eden is a swamp it's a cesspool yeah so so the way forward is to go back (laughs) and and they turn around to go because all the bad guys all the war boys are gone chasing them so if they can go back through the the bad the baddies and get back can, home before them they can take the tower yeah. and that's that's mad max's plan he is going to go with them I, again I, i'm still with him as a survivalist though um but you're right that that turning point is is that he does he gives his life uh he gives his life blood to yeah. her and, and and it's by choice too no one's making him no one's forcing him no one's strapping him to a car and yeah and taking it from him he he gives it of his own free will and and he wouldn't have done um i don't think if no. he if he hadn't gone through all that stuff with them and seen what she was doing for these five five women absolutely so yeah well man there's so much else there really 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 is and, and but, that, i mean I, yeah. That's a problem, I guess. 
um, when you're trying to talk about this, but there's there's well because so much of it is so visual, right? And and is and is I, I think you're right. It is showing, not telling. One of the best examples I can think of 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 showing, not telling, in terms of storytelling. It, it, yeah, I think it's the story man who mentioned it as a as a silent movie. They called it oh, a great silent yeah. movie, and uh, like in one of their fa- Facebook posts, they mentioned that. And, and I agree. I mean, you could watch it with the sound off; it wouldn't be as impressive, and you wouldn't get the guitar player. No, <laughs> if the, the sound music was, off. was fantastic. I mean, the guitar player was awesome, but I, overall, I would say the music was yeah. yeah great. And what was cool about the music was it did this kind of play where the music would be playing but then they would get closer to the the war drum truck right and the drums would get louder and louder and louder and then the guitar player would come out when you saw like it it played into what was going on visually on the screen in terms of yeah the drum truck and the guitar player and the the on-screen sources of music when the guitar player is there it's in the soundtrack (laughs) and yeah and it's the ultimate. I mean, he is playing that guitar, and there is flames shooting out of the guitar. And that was the moment where the 3D was a little gimmicky for me, mm. was when he comes flying right toward the screen. Right. And you finally get a good look at his face because he had this weird mask thing on. And um, and he's wearing, like, red long johns. Okay, so I have to tell you this because <laughs> you will appreciate this, and you know that I have problems. But the entire time I'm looking at him, all I can think of is it looks like first season Dargo with his Qualta blade. I don't. And I just couldn't get past it. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm I oh, this is a Farscape thing. This is Farscape oh. cargo on Farscape with his okay. Qualta blade, and I have problems. Yeah, I I do know about you and Farscape. I haven't watched <laughs> Farscape in probably three years now. Oh, fair enough. So it's been a, it's been a long while. Maybe maybe two people listening to this will appreciate my. <laughs> but that but was, he is what's going on in my. Well, you, you want problems? You want to know what's going through my yeah. head? Unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, first season, Mr. Edwards from Little House on the Prairie. His, really? Yeah, in, in his trapdoor oh, long, long johns? johns. Yeah. Okay, I'm yeah. with you. See, I'm with you on that. Okay, all right. Okay. Oh, I mean, not the, nothing else other than that. Because <laughs> um, it just it, it's this weird. He's just got this weird lanky body, and he's a real guitar player. I don't know who he is, but he's I guess some sort of um, Australian guitar mm. guy. Um, but yeah, he. Uh, crazy visual. Again, you want to talk about visuals here. Um, these people become almost visual metaphors for what their character is yeah. with the, the, the leader of the war boys who's this kind of old man who's trying to create a next generation of perfection. And yeah. so he has these women that he's kidnapped and he's keeping these perfect ones. Uh, I We haven't even talked about like the mother's milk. No. Oh, I, well, and that's I mean, another example, I think, early on of people as things right these women just strapped up to milking machines basically and they're they're obviously living a life of food yeah these these are enormous women just yeah they've been fed and fed and fed they're they're fattened cows almost i mean that's that's how they're being viewed by the people who are there and there's a truck full of mother's milk that's going to be traded for gas that's what's in furiosa's truck you find out, yeah. Because oh, you're thinking it is gas or water. Right. Because he controls yeah. water. Um, yeah, and, and so <laughs> I don't even remember what we were talking about with, before we went to the, the milk here. But um, 
Oh, the, the visual, the visual metaphors of, uh, you know, you have the, the guy who runs oil town, you know, mm. who's just wearing a suit. Like, yeah, I've got this suit from life before and, uh, his nose has been somehow removed. He has a, uh, a bronze or brass nose like Tycho, mm. I think. And, <laughs> and these enormous feet that are just diseased and gross. And, and then you have the, the guy who leads gun town who, gets blinded and that's not going to stop him from trying to shoot everyone. Right. So, um, just in terms of, I think it's worth, because you alluded to this, I think in the first half of the podcast, but the fact that we never see the rape and the sexual exploitation of the women, I think is really, really significant. I do too. And part of that is because from a storytelling perspective, well, often when that is put on screen, you know, they're trying to say, here's this exploitation and we're going to exploit. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it, it becomes the exploitation that they're trying to say is precisely evil, bad thing. And, and so the women are pregnant or at least two of them, I think are pregnant. Um, the other ones, I'm we not know sure. that two of them are pregnant. Yeah. The other ones I'm not sure about, but yeah. one's obviously pregnant. I mean, she's very much showing and, the other one, I think they just allude to the fact that she is, yeah. uh, you can't see based on her belly, um, but she knows she is. And, uh, but they're, they're breeders. I mean, they're, they're things, you know, yeah. there's, there's no kind of, uh, there's no, he views them as possessions. Yep. Um, he doesn't want them harmed, not because he cares about them as human beings at all, but because. But because they're his. They're his. You don't take what's mine. And. And they're carrying what's mine too. Yeah, because uh, he does hit a point where he's like, "I don't care." You know, he I doesn't want, care about her. He just want wants the, the baby. What's inside? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I think that's again that's where I come back to the theme, uh, the the strongest theme, is is when it, when it's when we say we are not things, it's not just saying they are not things, but it right. is. <laughs> and, well, it's they, they are part. I mean, I think it, they're a very crucial part of it because they're a very in in talking about what they are and um, their sexualization and their objectification. You know, that's a very obvious and easy way of stressing that theme of we are not things. But then we see that same truth played out in a number of characters. It's not just about the women, yeah, and that the women are not things. Which is a, an important enough truth, but it, it is applied much more universally across the film. And I think it's it's a film about characters coming to the the redemption of the characters is coming to know and claim that truth about themselves as much as about other people. Yes, that's an important element right there. Is yeah. that the the women start to view themselves as not things, right? And that is an important part of their you know, just human development. But exactly. so you have you have Knox who he starts to look at them as beyond just things, mm-hmm. but then also himself. But these these women too, who yeah. have you know, how much of their life have they grown up just being told that they have no value and that they are just a thing? And and the war boys that you yeah. are you have one purpose you have no value other than service and running the cranks you know or whatever it is. There's a really great line one of the women has early on that I think is very telling of the we are things mentality where Max shoots the one that's pregnant, right? Um, He just grazes Mm -hmm. her leg. And one of them says, of all the legs you could have hit, that one was attached to his favorite. 
Yeah. And it's such a dehumanizing way of describing that. And this is where, okay, you use the word dehumanizing, and this is where I'm going to say this is a movie that if it is a feminist movie, it is a feminist movie in the best way possible. Oh, yeah. It's a feminist movie in the way that everyone who is a human being should be a feminist. <laughs> uh, just to recognize the value of humans. Uh, to recognize the weight of glory. Oh, I agree. As, as C.S. Lewis would say. Yeah. And so people who might say, well, you know, people from a more conservative viewpoint, who right. you know, feminism is is really bad and uh, people who would actually use the phrase feminazi. Yeah. I you watching this movie, I can't imagine how someone who has a Christian worldview, conservative or liberal, could come mm-hmm. out and say this is a movie that is feminist propaganda. Unless they want to go so far as to say it's a human propaganda. Yeah. Um and because I've seen that, and this is, uh, again, I, I don't know a lot. <laughs> There's, I'm just this guy who has a family and who's trying to, you know, just tell kids about God's love. You know, that's yeah. that's my job. I, I teach people about Jesus. You know, and in comic this books is, and in, in my job. Yeah, and and this is a movie that says we are, you know, we are more than things. We are something more. And while the movie makers are probably not coming at it the way I would as a storyteller, because I'm coming at it from that Christian worldview that says we are more than things because you know, we've been made in the image of God. Right. Um, that element is there. And so my friend that I, w- I was at the convention with, he asked me, so is it, is it this thing that they're all talking about? <laughs> you know? And I'm like, yeah, but if it is, it's, it's in a way that it should be, you yeah. know, we are not things. If you're going to come out of this movie and say, yeah, this movie is just tearing down men and just how awful are. No, this is a movie about tearing down the dehumanizers. Yeah. And it, it, it really, really is because, and I'm different now than I was years ago. Um, I've gone through the process of you know finding a girlfriend, marrying her, having <laughs> children, having daughters. And, yeah. You know, all of these different relationships that I've had with different women in my life have caused me to, you know, come to the realization that, yeah, uh, I used to be a hopeless romantic because I wanted to rescue someone. You know, I wanted mm-hmm. to be the hero, and and now it's I want I want my daughters to be the hero. You know, and <laughs> I want my daughters to find someone who's going to see them the way I see them. You know, as these awesome, incredible little bundles of joy, you know, whatever. Um, but. I think even as a ridiculous uh, high school kid who just wanted to be Superman to Lois Lane, <laughs> I I would this movie would be so awesome to me, and I I, I think the ideology is getting in the way of the actual theme of this movie. Mm. No, I think you I think you make incredibly incredibly strong points, and I mean I I. I will certainly be upfront about the fact that I I as I said early on I mean I. I was intrigued to see the movie because of what I'd heard about it. And I think it would be, and I say this from someone who, who completely self-identifies as a feminist, but I hope a feminist in the terms as you've put it, um, I think it would be an incredibly, I, I think it's, it's as strong a film as it is, and it's as spiritually profound film as it is, because it is about 
humanity, not women, right? Like, I I like seeing, you know, I, I think, as I've said, that Max has an incredibly, incredi- um, not incredibly, but I think his redemptive arc is present. You have the character of Nooks. You see him coming to this truth. And it's not about women. It's about himself as much as anyone else. Um so I just I'm I'm just agreeing really yeah. with what you're saying. And and that said, I mean in this movie, the the women are in a point uh, a position of weakness. I mean they, and, and I guess it could be said, you know what, you know they're they're trying to say this that X Y and Z that I don't agree with or about what our world is like today. Um, and boy, I hope that our world is not quite like that today. No. Uh, but, but I would say I, the women are in a position of weakness. But what I, and this is where I, I think what is good about it, um, and and my perspective as a woman going to see this movie is that it is, and I hope your daughters would feel this way as they grow up and start seeing more movies. It is incredibly heartening to see movies where, and especially action movies where women are agents, right? Um, Furiosa's choice before the film even begins drives the plot. Um, And these five women who are rescued from a position of of incredible powerlessness are not just passive victims, right? You know, we, we know, we don't know exactly what happened, but we know that they somehow begged Furiosa to take them with her. So however they communicated with each other, we know that they initiated their own escape because they didn't want to see their children grow up to be war boys. Yes, and, yes. Um, and- we see at, through the film, you know, they they do make choices and they do have personalities and they do um, – they are allowed to perform actions that – impact what is happening around them and i think that and and they have names and they um are individuals and i think that's all incredibly powerful and i and and i enjoyed seeing that because you know you don't actually especially in big summer blockbusters the the roles and space for women in them can actually be pretty minimal just look at you know the avengers or guardians of the galaxy right we get our one token woman who doesn't even get on the merchandise. <laughs> yeah. My girls really want to see age of Ultron too. And <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, I'll take you, but it's going to be a little bit first. Yeah. Um, so one thing I, I I'm curious about mm. is at what point, and this is backstory stuff that they might, there's some comic books coming out. Oh yeah. I almost don't know if I want to read them. Uh, there's part of me is like, yes, I want more of this world. And there's part of me, I hope they don't explain too much. Because I want to know at what point and what caused these women to actually have hope. Yeah. What I feel like it, I, I, and I, I'm vague on what I remember, but there was the one woman there, there was the older woman there left, right? And she she's even with Joe later on. And I think she must be like the midwife. Like she's the one who would be like the midwife yeah, 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 for the okay. births. births, and yes, I, I yes, her. Feel like it came from her. That would make sense, because someone spoke she, hope yeah. to them. Someone yeah. gave them the idea that you know what, 
you could do this crazy thing and it is a huge, huge risk. You are risking your life, but you could get away. Yeah. You could get out of this life. And, and that's something that, uh, you know, it's, this is implied. This is, this is something I'm bringing to the story now. The story didn't give me any of this because there was no background, no backstory or little, little backstory. Someone spoke hope to them though. And, and in doing so, they chose to leave. And yeah, that, that, the older woman who's not quite as old as the motorcycle gang. Yeah. Um, but, but older than the, the that old, yeah. Yeah, older than the women who are, are escaping. Um, which boy, we haven't even talked about the motorcycle gang. Cause there's no, some, we haven't. there's some rich stuff there too with, with them and with their seeds and. Well, what are the seeds, but hope. Right? Exactly. I mean, it's, it's new life. I mean, the one, the one woman is carrying a child in her, in her belly that she doesn't, I mean, it's put there against her will. But, yeah. you know, you mentioned that the idea that I don't want my child to grow up to be a war boy. You know? yeah. And, um, and, and again, this is a, I, I'm going to say this and I might be way off. This is a very pro-life movie to me. I think that's fair. Um, I, I don't know if the filmmakers intended it to be, uh, and maybe not pro-life in the terminology of, of um, you know, the cultural debate, but pro-life in, in the very literal sense of, yeah. you know, again, we are not things. We are, are, are human and we are here to, we want to preserve life as much as possible. Um, except for Max, who, you know, wants to survive, preserve his own life. And then, like you said, turns around. But, um, yeah, so you have these, these women who carry wisdom of, of age and they're funny, they're goofy, they're, they're fun. They, they die and you are sad because they're funny and goofy and fun. <laughs> um, and, but the one woman with her, her bag of seeds that, yeah, it's hope. It's, it's hope for the future. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so when he leaves, you get the impression, I mean, he's, he's leaving because I, I almost feel like he feels, uh, okay, they've created an Eden, but I need to get out of here cause I'm a snake. You know? Yeah. And, I think, so. I think you're right. And, I think he realizes that he is still too broken for that. He, yeah. If he would stay there, the healing could not happen. That that needs to yeah. happen for this this band of humans now that um, are, are going to have water and have yeah. plant life and and have you know a utopia <laughs> led by <laughs> or Furiosa, at least not a hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a, a lesser hell for sure. Yes. Um, and and I love that moment again, unspoken. Just that the 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 eye that Furiosa and Max give each other that is just understanding, and mm-hmm. I have to go, you have to stay, um, and you and there's no romance there at all. That's the other no, thing. Not at all. You put two beautiful people on the big screen together. Of course, they're not real made up to be real yeah. beautiful, <laughs> as far as as the you know the makeup and stuff for them living in this you know, desert post apocalyptic future, but. You put the man and the woman on the screen together and they spend time together and they're going to end up together because that's what you do because <laughs> it's Hollywood, right? And that's not at all what is happening here. This is mutual respect. They have worked together. They've grown past their differences of I'm going to threaten to kill you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's some pretty strong differences there. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I just – I cannot sing praises high enough for – just what this movie is and how good this movie is. And yeah, any 
flaws that it has are far overcome by the 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 many 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 awesome awesome elements and it's just so much fun it managed to be so much fun yes. at the same time <laughs> yeah yeah this this movie should not exist no it really should there i think io9 had an article that was you realize this movie shouldn't exist right well, and I'm just listing all the reasons why it shouldn't. I mean, you have a 70-year-old yes. director who hasn't done anything since Mad Max 3, but like Happy Feet or something like that. Happy and, Feet, and I think there's one other animated thing. Yeah. No, Babe. Oh, he did, did Babe. Babe. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um. So they're just like, this movie sh- – like, why does this movie exist? Because it should not exist. <laughs> and – I don't know how well it did in the box office. I, I don't know anything about the numbers or anything like I that. I think it did. I feel like it it was top of the box office its opening weekend. It did well enough that there. I I know there's plans for a sequel. Mm. Um, and I've I've heard a couple different titles for what the sequel might actually be called. And um, one of them I heard was actually Mad Max Furiosa, but I don't think they're going to mm. go back to that. And again, I don't, I don't think you can. I think the I, story's moved on. Right? You don't want to yeah. see. You 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 don't you don't want to see. You can't do another conflict on that level because they've moved be I don't know. Well, you you're going to see bureaucracy be developed, exactly. you know. And it's it's similar uh I don't want to spoil, so I'm I'm just going to say there's a movie I seen recently that had a bad guy and the bad guy died. And I was mm-hmm. glad that the bad guy died because it meant we weren't going to see that bad guy in a sequel. Because right. I liked the bad guy in that movie so much that I didn't want the power of that bad guy's performance to be diluted. Diminished, yeah. Yeah. And the same thing with Furiosa is if they come back to her, that's that's a gimmick now. That's a that's a that's desperation of you know what you liked in the last movie, well guess yeah. what? We're doing it again. You know yeah. classic sequel, stakes are higher. Now they're gonna save the world. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I guess my question for you is how did you like Tom Hardy versus Mel Gibson? That's a tough one because Mel Gibson, I saw the third movie first on Mm. TV as like a junior high kid or whatever. And and there's some cool elements in there like Thunderdome, the battle in Thunderdome where he's like bungee cords and chainsaws and stuff like that. Um, But I really appreciated then as an adult going and seeing Mad Max – and and the second one, Mad Max Two or Road Warrior or whatever the official title is, um, he's not great <laughs> in the first one, but in the second one he's pretty good, and mm. and you like him as this silent Clint Eastwood cowboy type, and Tom Hardy. There's moments where I felt like he was kind of channeling almost like the Lethal Weapon Mel Gibson. There's oh, a l- okay. A little bit of craze to him. All right. Um, and he did a he was good enough okay. um this is i mean we're looking at kind of a james bond situation where right. it's the yeah. same character probably the same continuity um although it could be i've heard people say well maybe it's a legendary kind of thing where mm. this is the legend of this mad max and so each of these stories kind of come from a tradition of being passed down cuz the other ones are all narrated by um a character that he helps within oh, okay. within the movie, or, and and so at the end he leaves that character. Mm. You know, well, we never saw him again, but he left, and that was really not even a good 
any accent, let alone Australian. But, <laughs> um, you know, they, and so the idea is he just comes into their life and then goes. And this one, he he does the voiceover narration. Yeah. At the beginning. Um, yeah. So I like Mad Max played by Mel Gibson because it's Mad Max played by the guy that I, I grew up right. knowing. But Tom Hardy did a, a good enough job and he wasn't so much like Mel Gibson that I kept finding myself comparing them. Right. So, yeah, that's a little bit of a long answer to a pretty yeah. simple question. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Yeah. But he, Tom Hardy, I mean, the guy did a great job with considering how few lines he had and how many of his yeah. lines were just, uh, <laughs> grunt, uh, <laughs> grunt, count the bullets. I could understand him better than I did in Dark Knight Rises. So, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap things up then. I mean, there's there are more things we could talk yeah. about, but at this point, I think we've covered all the highlights and maybe lowlights too. Of of uh, we we well, we didn't really talk about the real lowlights, but I don't want to talk about those guys. No. The, the people who actually complained about this movie, and I think that let's the just, only let's good just thing. Leave that aside for a moment. I think the only good thing about that part of the story is just to remind people that you know what, there are people who actually think that way. Yeah. You need to know that, and that's probably about as much as I want to say about that as as other than what we've already talked about. So. Rachel, I want to thank you so much for yeah. uh, coming on impromptu and yeah, thanks for staying up late. And <laughs> last minute, yeah. Um, well past my bedtime. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I appreciate it. And um, I, I had fun seeing the movie. I had fun talking about it now. And go ahead and plug uh, your your podcast. And I guess yeah, we're, so we've lost we're... people who didn't want spoilers, but <laughs> maybe, hopefully uh, come we're back. equally yoked. So my husband, Lehman, and I are call ourselves the world's best married Christian geek podcast of a sample size of one, I assume. Uh, but we <laughs> talk about faith, family, and fandom. Yes, and I just appeared on yes. their, their podcast talking about Spirited Away. And this kind of just was a natural outgrowth. So. Indeed. All right, thank you very much. In the next episode of Strangers and Aliens, we'll be talking about Tomorrowland, which is definitely a... It's in the same wheelhouse. Uh, <laughs> that's probably a, a, a no pun intended here but um this is it's a it's a, another movie about the future and about what the future can be and about choice and uh i really feel like tomorrowland and mad max are really a, a pretty decent double feature uh, a weird double feature but a, a decent double feature so that'll be our next episode and until next time i want to uh, again thank you rachel for for joining me and uh and until next time, everyone, uh, Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Strangers and Aliens summer movie series. You can email us at podcast at com or leave us a voicemail at 1-804-37-ALIEN. That's 1-804-372-5436. We'd love to hear from you. You can also go to our website, strangersandaliens.com, leave a comment on the blog, or check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangersandaliens. We're also on Twitter, Strange and Alien. Check us out. 
This podcast is a proud member of the Crossover Nexus, a group of podcasts and blogs that engage faith and pop culture. Find out more at www.crossovernexus.com. 